0: Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, where we are dedicated to bringing you comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God.
1: The goal of this podcast is to encourage, equip, and empower you with meaningful insight from the Word of God to receive His promises and live a life without limits. Nice. That works. That worked out. Why don't we do? We should. I mean, it's great to do that live. It's kind of fun to to do that. (laughs) over top of you know the music and all that stuff that's not there because we haven't put it in yet
0: yeah well i think that's fun hi eric
1: hi justin i feel Uh like i haven't seen you in a really long time and i've even seen you in person recently in
0: person yes i did come up and see you for a very brief Moment (laughs) that was a kind of a crazy story. Hello. Hello listeners. I just want to say, you know, Merry Christmas and Eric and I are obviously We're doing this remote, but we're here together We're together in spirit, but we're excited to bring you a podcast about Christmas and we are going to talk about some really cool things with the Christmas story So yeah, we flew in I forgot what time but we barely had enough time to get to the dealership before they closed like nine o'clock I think at night or something. Yeah, like that. And this is out in Beaverton actually so right there bought the van they all had the you know they had the paperwork all done and everything it was all it was really smooth and then back to my parents house crashed for a few hours then early the next morning I was up and out but I was like well I I've got to say hi to Eric because Eric and I have been working together so many years and we just haven't seen each other in the flesh and so I just I wanted to come say hi to you and uh, yeah yeah you got to see the studio for the first time I got to see your studio. Anyway, it was a crazy trip. <laughs> so, yeah, the boys
1: had fun. They had fun hanging out with Caleb for like the five minutes he was here while, yeah. while you and I chatted for a little bit. And yeah, then, they got along and then really you, well, so that was fun. you had to drive for like 15 hours or uh, something crazy four, to get home?
0: 14, I think it was about 14. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We made it's it. Like it was me good. going to Calgary.
0: Yep, Caleb Caleb did a good job. We had a good time in the, in the new van. It was super fun, and we're just thankful. You know, it was a, It was a good thing, but... But here now, um, back to back to the podcast. We are recording about um, Christmas. So, Merry Christmas, everybody!
1: Yeah, Merry Christmas, yeah. everyone!
0: And Eric, this is season four. How do you how do you feel about this? I mean, I guess before we get into the content, let's talk just for a moment. I mean, dude, how do you feel? This is awesome! Like, this is uh, what third or fourth episode of season four? What is it? Yeah, I think you're, you're this keeping track. Is
1: four? Yeah, we we've been on schedule. Stuff, we've definitely. actually we've actually kept to schedule. I think. Yeah. I think this is episode four. So yeah, that's okay. which is good because you've been I mean, school has just been crushing you it this year, been, which is a whole a whole that, that other is, topic we could tangent yes. about. <laughs>
0: it's probably and, and you've managed really to good.
1: pull out some content. We have some episodes that are you're yeah. really excited that are coming up that were yes. hey, yeah, let's go, let's do this. This is gonna be this
0: is gonna yeah, be awesome. It's, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, and things are picking up I'm hoping your
1: winter semester is a little lighter than your fall semester was, but somehow I doubt it. I'm guessing (laughs) it's only uphill from here. I'm guessing there's no reprieve for you at all.
0: We will see. So as of this recording, I'm in my senior year at Cal Poly, and the winter quarter is looking, I don't know, we'll see. We'll we'll talk later about it. We'll see what it looks like, Um, because I'm starting on on my master's classes. I'm actually taking a grad class this next quarter, this winter quarter, for advanced orbital mechanics, because I like that kind of stuff. And that'll help me with my master's degree, which is going to be next year, and so I'm kind of getting an early start on that. So, cool. So it's like That's a, great. a lot of a lot of people are taking it easy. They're like, oh, you know, senior year, let's just take the foot off the gas. And I'm like, uh let's make it as yeah, hard yeah. as possible. <laughs> I don't yeah, know why. Yeah.
1: But yeah. My no, senior good. year I, reflected that a little bit.
0: Well, honestly, if I was if I was the typical you know twenty something going to school, I would do the same thing. But I'm just in a different spot, and and you know, I just want to remind our our listeners that like. Hey, what I'm, what I'm doing, I'm not doing everything perfect by any means, but I am really living an adventure, and I am really, act, we're following God's word, and and man, I'm just, it's just an adventure of a lifetime to even be recording this podcast and doing this in the middle of this season where this is so raw and so real of like following God's word and going out and doing stuff that He's called us to do. So, if you sense the theme, if that's what I seem like I'm always talking about, it's because I am living it in the in the moment right now. So, right. but it's awesome. It is exactly. an adventure.
1: And from my perspective I'm blown away by it because I'm just like I did some of what you're doing back in the early 2000s when I was going to school and getting married and doing all that but nothing like having two children and two jobs going and it's you know jetting on the night schedule and it's just and yeah, she's going to school too. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. And yeah. she's going to school too. It's just I can't imagine and I, you know, it's, it's just, it's all temporary, right? That's gotta be the thing yeah. that you guys are saying to each other. It's just like, when am I going to see, when are, when are Jenny and I actually going to get a minute together? Oh, man. It's like, no, next
0: month, maybe. We actually last night, we, what was it? I'm trying to remember now. We, it's like, we had the boys down to bed early or something. Like they were uncharacteristically quiet and it wasn't one of those bad quiet or like they're getting into something. It was like one of them was in bed and the other one was like playing quietly or something. And I just looked at Jenny and said, Jenny, do you hear that? And she looks up and she's like, what? I'm like, it's quiet. <laughs> and we just looked at each other like, now what? Like, what do we do? You yeah, know? What, what do we do? What do, we we do. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. sat together on the couch and just like spaced out for a minute, you know? We're just yeah. Like, what yeah. is this? So it is a little crazy. It's, it's one of those seasons where it's like, we're already looking at it like, we're going to look back on this and think we were nuts, you know? But and uh, but And
1: you have people who have told you that. Like, this is yeah. not like... I don't think I ever have. I, I think I've maybe said you're crazy, but I've meant it in a, Yeah, that's Justin. It's just what he's doing. It's crazy, but he's going to do it It's because I know Justin, and he's just going to get it done. And yeah. you are. You're getting it done. And it's just...
0: Awesome.
1: I don't know. It's more than I could handle, but I know also in, in my life I've had stuff where I've done things similar yeah. to that. So
0: Yeah. No, it totally is. And, yeah, I mean, it, again, it is really back to us being empowered by the Lord to do stuff. So today, we're, what are we going to talk about, Eric? We've got a couple different, we've got maybe a general topic, but I've also got some subheadings here of what we want to talk about. And we're going to open the Bible. And I'm excited uh, to talk about the, this part of the Christmas story, different than last year. Yeah. What do you think?
1: So some of this we talked about briefly last year. And I remember when you finished last year, we were talking about, this year's episode and doing this and kind of turning this into a little bit of a series of Christmas episodes that we would release in December, you were like, I know exactly what yeah. topic I want to <laughs> talk about next year. We have to talk about yep. this yep. piece of it. We're going into the the Magi or the Three Wise Men, yep. or there may have been more. Uh, yep. Traditionally, we say the Three Wise Men or the Magi, depending on what translation you you use most often. And it's just the history behind that and some of the things, like there's definitely things that we're going to talk about today that I expect people will be like, oh, wait, what? And then they'll be like, oh, no, that's a really cool piece of information. Yeah. From my perspective, I'm also looking forward to it because I'm curious where, you, where all we're going to go today mm-hmm. because, you know, it's your thing. So I'm just here to kind of join the ride and have some fun talking about it along the way. So I'm curious where, we're gonna, where you want to start with this. I know... Mm-hmm one of the things you have right off the top is who they were and yeah. and what they were and when they showed up and all that stuff and i'm also got tons of questions about the star cuz that Ooh. the scientific side of that oh. as the scientist in the room i i hope you have some scientific explanation for us too
0: i i do actually i do uh, and i'm excited that's that's very I'm going to have to try very hard to stay on track on this one because the the star has been a subject of interest for me for many, many years. And so I am going to share some really cool things that I've found, but also what other people have found. Yeah. So we're going to go over who are the wise men? That's the first subheading I have here. We're going to go for, we're going to talk about who were the wise men? What was the star? There's been a lot of debate about this. When did the the magi come? All right, you hear me using the word magi and wise men interchangeably. We're going to talk about what that, what that means. Um, we're going to talk about how many there were. Does anybody know? Maybe. What kind of gifts did they bring? And then what was the point of the gifts? And you might be surprised. I, I believe that you're going to learn something brand new from the Word of God today. I'm here to tell you the gifts that they brought wasn't just three little boxes of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We have inter- information that there, was, that there was something else going on there. So, so I think it's exciting. So, so let's start out, Eric, with who were the wise men? If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Interestingly enough, I was, I was thinking about this. Matthew is the only New Testament writer who includes this information about the wise men. and I was wondering why that was. like that's that's where my brain goes. I'm like, well, why why was you know Mark, Luke, and John, why didn't they talk about the wise men? Like it's interesting that they were silent, totally silent about the wise men. And I'm not sure this is the answer, but I will tell you what I personally believe about this. and I think the reason why Matthew is the only one who shares about it is because as you'll see as we get going on this, this whole idea of the magi coming from the east and seeing the star and they're coming to worship the baby jesus, you know, which we'll get into and the king of kings and all this. What i believe is that it's because you got to remember Matthew's gospel was written with a very jewish mindset. In fact, some have said that Matthew is like is like showing Jesus as the new Moses who's giving a new torah. To the Jews, and so you got to understand when you read Matthew's gospel, you notice that there's a lot more symbolism, there's a lot more reference to the Jewish nation and the Jewish cultures and certain things like that. And so, the Jewish people re- reading the book of Matthew were like, "Man, I'm connecting. I'm all in. Like this guy, I know he, this guy's speaking my language." You know, so Matthew, you could say, is like written to the Jewish people. And so, with that said, that's why I think there's this strong correlation with the wise men, um, is because it has to do with prophecy. It has to do with the fulfillment of prophecy from Jewish, from the Torah and from tradition. And to the Jewish mindset, prophecy being fulfilled is, is like the biggest thing. Like That's the confirmation of God. That's how you judge a prophet. That's how you judge what, what God is doing is if there's a prophecy and it gets fulfilled. And so that's what, one way I think Matthew is really solidifying in the hearts of his Jewish readers the fact that Jesus is the Messiah.
1: Where does that prophecy come from? I know there's some, I, I don't even remember, there's some crazy number of prophecies that were eventually fulfilled by Jesus coming. It's, I, yeah. I, I can't remember the number. In my head, I'm thinking like somewhere above 300, but I think that's too high.
0: Well, yeah, that's, that's a good question. Some, some say, when it comes to the Messiah and all these things, some say 300,000, <laughs> some huge numbers. I've been able to personally look at like 30 in the 30 range. Some of those might be doubled up or something, so there's higher numbers. But as, as our listeners, as you'll see in a, in a podcast coming up, we actually have an interview with a, a mathematics PhD who goes into the probability of those exact prophecies that you're talking about, Eric, coming to fulfillment. And we actually have numbers on that, so just stay tuned on that. That's coming up. It's, it's super, super, super exciting. I didn't mean to cut you out, Eric. Were you talking about just the the prophecies of that we're going to talk about with the wise men or
1: Yeah, like yeah, where does this okay. we're talking about the wise men, we're talking about Matthew yeah. being being the Jewish sure. author at which mm-hmm. is commonly referred to. Mm-hmm. And and where does the the Magi prophecy that the this one that that is being fulfilled yeah. even just with the birth of like there's several being fulfilled with the birth of Jesus obviously, but what's this one this specific one referring to and where where can we find it?
0: Sure. Well, let's I'm going to answer your question in just a moment. Let's, let's read Matthew chapter 2, and let's read the first couple verses. I'm just going to read them. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and you'll find one of the prophecies is quoted right here in Matthew, all right? So there's one of them right here, and then I'm going to give you two more, all right? So I'm going to read these, and then I'm going to give you two more. All right, so Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, and the Bible says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to come to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Verse five, So they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And here he is quoting Micah. He says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler... Who will shepherd my people Israel. And so that's one prophecy right off the bat that we see is, is Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, where it's it, it's prophesying that the Messiah would be born, the ruler who will shepherd the people of Israel in the in the in the land of uh, in the in the city of Bethlehem. Now the other two prophecies that I'm gonna bring out today are out of Genesis chapter 49. And also Numbers chapter 24. So you might find this interesting. G- Genesis chapter 49 is Jacob giving his last words and last blessing to all of, his, all of his children, right? And this is in Egypt just before he dies. And look at verse 10. This is ch- uh, Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. It says, the scepter, sh- the scepter meaning, you know, that, I guess it's like that rod thing that the kings hold, right? Scepter it means, mm-hmm. it means mm-hmm. the king. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, that's a messianic title, Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And so what that does is it talks about there being a king, the scepter. That's a kingly title. The king shall not depart from Judah. So that's the very first prophecy that we have that the king of all kings would come from the tribe of Judah. Now in Numbers, You might find this interesting if you don't already know this, but in Numbers, we have a prophecy from a guy named Balaam. You've probably heard of Balaam. Oh, Balaam's
1: such a fun story. There's so many cool things about that guy.
0: Balaam was a, actually was like a pagan sorcerer. This guy was known around the land of like, you go, you pay this guy. And he'll prophesy the way, you know, whatever. He'll speak over your enemies. They'll all get shredded. Like that's what would happen. This guy would speak over things. He would use his sorceries. He he would consult with spirits. He would get things done. This guy was a popular celebrity level medium of his day. Yeah,
1: and and the cool part of, like, I just love that story because like the king that has hired him is like asking him to curse the Jewish people. And he tries three times, three different times to curse the Jewish people. And he can't do it. Like, he literally has no ability to do it because God's like, no, you can't do it. Yep. You, you're not allowed. You're not going to do it. And then, like, he runs away. And, like, there's just, like, this crazy, like... There's, like, this yeah. whole story about him and, like, my... Yeah, and then the donkey. The whole, like, the donkey turns around and is like, the donkey talk. Like, you want to talk about where C.S. Lewis yeah. got, like, yeah. his... <laughs> His sure. idea, it's from, directly from the Bible. C.S. Lewis, all of Narnia is based on a verse in the Bible.
0: Yeah. You know what's funny about that, Eric, since we're on this? What I think is hilarious about this story is Balaam doesn't, like, freak out that his donkey's talking to him. He just talks right back to him.
1: I know, right? He's like, oh, my donkey. Oh, yeah, sure. Whatever. Like, he just
0: responds to the donkey. The donkey's like, hey, you know, haven't I been good to you? And Balaam's not like, you talk? You know, like, Shrek, you're a talking donkey? No. Balaam's like, yeah, you've been good to me, but I'm mad at you now for another reason, you know, so I I just think that's, that's so comical of of the way that God orchestrated the the way that the scripture was written, you know, the way the Holy Spirit wrote this, like, I just think it's hilarious that Balaam doesn't miss a beat. All right. So Balaam actually provides the second prophecy that I'm going to bring up today, which is interesting because he's like totally this pagan sorcerer, but listen to this. This is out of Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17. This is where we hear about the star, all right, the star of Bethlehem he says, uh, this is Balaam prophesying. He says, I see him. And then him is capitalized in my Bible. It's probably capitalized in your Bible. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter, there's that word scepter again, shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. So this is the instance where we're we're hearing about the star. And I'm not going to take time to go into it today. We all, we will talk about this a little bit in the, in the, When we're talking about the star, but there are multiple references to this star, which we call the star of Bethlehem. And we are going to talk about some of the scientific explanations behind it. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. Let's talk about who were the wise men, who were the wise men. I'm going to, I'm going to flip back here to Matthew chapter two, and I want you to notice something. This is really cool. Back to verse one. It says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, notice that word behold in your Bible. Matthew is using this word, behold, basically it's, it's the word that you and I would translate as like, wow, or amazing, or this is crazy. Like we talked about this on last year's Christmas podcast where the angel, you know, said, behold, or no, the, the writer, excuse me, the writer said, behold of the angels. It's this thing where the writer would say something like, listen, what I'm about to write next is so crazy. Wow. Just look at what I'm about to say. It's incredible. What I'm about to describe to you is just incredible. And that's the first thing I want you to notice about the introduction to these magi. Wow. Matthew is writing and he's saying, wow, this is just amazing what I'm about to describe to you. Magi came. It says, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Wow. And that word wise men actually is the word magi, M-A-G-I. And Eric, you spoke to this a minute ago about this idea of the magi and where we get the word, I think I think you've mentioned this, that's where we get the word magic from. I don't know if you said that.
1: I didn't, but yeah, that makes sense. And actually, it's funny, just a quick aside, because it, it's funny for me to read different translations. Of course, I'm reading a slightly different translation in general than you, but I also have my French translation open, which is actually based on the translation that you're using. okay And it actually specifies, it uses Mage d'orient, which is, essentially mages or magi of the Orient. Uh So it actually specifies their location, which is something that both yours and my versions, I'm not sure if you're using NKJV today or KJV. And I'm using uh, NIV current version for most of what I look at. And and they both say uh, magi, which is interesting to me, because again, I grew up with, uh wise men wise men yeah so seeing this in in the in the french translation it's kind of one of those inf- interesting little asides of different translations going mm-hmm. no we're going to be really more specific here
0: yeah exactly magicians mages right magi and so what do we know about the magi so we can actually go outside the bible and see what history says about these magi and it's pretty cool actually these magi were were amazing people they're well documented throughout history and some scholars say that they were from a sacred caste of the Medes. You know, you've heard of the Medes and the Persians and Babylon and all that. So what I want you to think about is most scholars agree that these Magi were descended. Of course, they were from the East. The Bible says that they're from the East or the Orient. So we know generally where they're from. Many scholars think Babylon or, or those areas. But what's interesting, and you may, you may have heard this, um, I know this is pretty common, but it's possible, and I, I believe it's very probable, that these Magi were from the school of Magi, which was actually an offshoot of Daniel's ministry back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus. Daniel, you recall, was placed in, when he was in exile in Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. He was placed as a leader above, above all the magicians and the sorcerers and the soothsayers and all this kind of thing. And he was the top dog. Well, history tells us that as you know, Daniel was so well, well respected in that culture that even though he was, you know, uh, he was a Jew and he believed in the God of the Bible and the other ones, all the other magis didn't, they still accepted his writings and his prophecies as sacred texts for years, even though they didn't necessarily believe the same, the, the same way he did. They still looked at his texts and his, his writings as sacred, and they passed them on from generation to generation. And I believe that's where these magi that we're reading about in Matthew 2 heard about the star. Daniel was writing, Daniel was prophesying, but also Daniel was well-versed in the Hebrew Torah. And so Daniel was preparing and speaking to his people and propagating this information that there would be a king coming. And in fact, we see that in history. There were multiple cultures at the time that were actually looking forward to a world leader, a coming world leader who was gonna be the savior of the world, who's gonna bring peace and all these things. And I believe a lot of that was descended from, especially in the Orient, from, from Daniel's ministry. And so it was really interesting that, we kind of, I guess, gloss over this idea of the wise men from the East just came to Jerusalem, but you got to realize that these guys were astrologers, but they were also astronomers. Okay. The difference is, is, astronomers are just scientists who study the heavens and astrologers, they bring in a spiritual aspect and they say, okay, well, we have these constellations and these zodiac signs and they're, they're affecting my life personally. Right? Well, these guys were a mix of both. They were highly respected scientists They were highly respected political leaders, actually, and they were fabulously wealthy. Now, when we hear these things about, you know, these three, we three kings. Now, technically magi were not kings. I wanna get that straight. They were like these political people. They were very influential. They were very wealthy. They looked like kings, the way they dressed and all these things, and their tremendous amount of wealth, um, but they were not technically kings.
1: They could be king makers, though.
0: That's exactly, I was just going to say that. Yep, they were, in fact, we have record of them when they would come in as a group, when they would agree, they could remove a king. So kings were actually scared of them, which we're going to see here. Herod was troubled. Well, why was Herod troubled? Herod Herod was, was narcissistic. Herod would kill his, he actually did kill his own children because he heard of a plot to take his own throne. And so Herod was crazy and was so hungry for keeping his throne. He hears these magi coming and he was troubled. Because he knew that these guys could remove him. So he was wondering why they were coming.
1: Yeah. And, and the other interesting thing for me is somewhat, and that all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And yeah. I'm pulling a, a memory here from something my pastor said, where he talked about that the trouble was actually the nobles of Israel. The average person in Jerusalem didn't care you know, most people actively tried to avoid Herod because of how yeah. kind of ruthless he was. And he <laughs> yeah. was, it really, a crazy thing, he was a puppet king, like, right? He wasn't yeah, even, right. he was not the real king. He was not in the line. He was not, you know, he was instilled by the Romans because he would do what Rome wanted him to do. yeah, yeah. And... You know, just like your average tax collector in Israel, your average governor, your king, they're all technically Roman actors. They're, they're not Jewish. And that's why, you know, tax collectors were basically disavowed by all the other members of Israel because they yeah. were just, they were seen as traitors. And Herod, he was king, but I think the average person today, it's kind of like the president, right? We have a president. Well, what the president does or says has, k- kind of has an impact on my life. But in, in reality, mm-hmm. they're so far removed, and Herod was the same way. And I think in Herod's case, you actively wanted to avoid the man. You didn't want to yeah. get recognized by Herod because that, could, that, would, <laughs> right. that would not necessarily end well for you.
0: Yeah. I want to point out now, I have include, included this in the notes, but there's a tremendous book where a lot of this information that I'm sharing today did come from this book. Um, this is by Rick Renner, and he wrote a, a book called Christmas, The Rest of the Story. And this has just been a tremendous resource for me as I've been studying these types of things. And so I want to read something out of, or I'm going to summarize something out of his book. Um, he talks about one time when Emperor Nero, you may have heard of the name Emperor Nero over Rome. Emperor Nero was crazy and he was the one who would burn Christians and blamed the great uh, fire of Rome on, on the Christians and all this type of stuff. Nero is a nut job. But listen to this. He talks about here about how Nero viewed the Magi. This is historical evidence here. There was a king that wanted to come to Rome to pay, uh, pay homage to Nero. normal thing because Nero would have you killed if you didn't, right? So, so Nero was crazy. but this guy this king is coming to Nero to pay homage to him. Now Magi had accompanied this king, and Nero heard that there was a group of magi that were coming with this king to, to see him. When Nero heard the news that the Magi were coming with this king, he was so alarmed. Apparently he for- he nearly forgot about the king himself, and he literally rolled out the red carpet and did all this stuff to welcome them into Rome, to avert a possible disruption to his throne to his kingdom. Apparently he spent a, a ridiculous sum of money every single day to keep them entertained. He gave them a parting gift. He wine and dined them. You know he did all this stuff to keep them happy during their trip, just because they were they were coming to Rome because he was. He was so worried about it, and in fact, after they were gone, apparently he was so relieved that he threw a celebration after they left. <laughs> oh wow! And this is oh, near wow. what we're talking about. So, so I wanted to bring that out. These just aren't three kings with three little boxes of gold or, or you know gold frankincense and myrrh. These are magi. These are highly respected and even feared people in in this in this day and age. Wow. Yeah, I think it's amazing. So, so who were they? So, I think we have an idea of of maybe who the magi were. Again, I, I want to bring back the point that these people were were so influential and in all this, but but yet they they stayed in their element. They stayed in the Orient primarily. They they would have to have a really good reason, you know, to come all the way to Jerusalem. And so that's why we're going to transition to the star, the star of Bethlehem. Woo-hoo! Let me ask you a question. What would cause these guys to however many they were, which we're going to get into, but they live and breathe astronomy and science they followed these things mm-hmm. they tracked it. you got to realize this it's not like today where we're all busy we're running around and like once in a while you have a time you have time to go outside and look up and when you look up you see nothing but city lights and maybe you see the moon right, right. they didn't have a light pollution back then nope they didn't have street lights back then. they didn't have stuff like we have nope. they when the sun would go down oftentimes they would go up to their roofs these people in these oriental cultures because it was so hot and when when, yeah. when, the, when the sun finally went down now, finally, ah, we can relax. They can go upstairs to their flat roofs where they often had, you know, reclining areas and blankets and stuff like that and carpets that exactly. they could relax. They would spend time with their loved ones, but they would look up at the sky. And this mm-hmm. isn't just the magi. This is all the, the culture of the time. So the people of that time were looking at the stars. They may have not known what it all meant, but the magi were the ones who knew what it meant. They were the ones who were tracking um, the movement right. of the planets, the movement of the stars, the, the scientific people of the day. Yep. And so what would cause these guys to travel, some some estimate 1,000 to 1,200 miles? You got to realize yeah. this wasn't in a plane. These were on yeah. camels or you had servants carrying you or something, right?
1: Right. Not a short trip.
0: You got to be highly motivated, right? Yep. To travel that type of distance. And so that's where the star comes in. Now, let's go back to our text. Matthew chapter two, he says, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Remember, these are magi we're talking about. These are incredibly important people. And it was actually their custom to go and visit when a newborn king came on the scene and they would bring gifts. How did they know he was the king of the Jews? Have you thought about that? Isn't that interesting? How, how did they know he was king of the Jewish nation? I believe it goes back to that prophecy we were reading in, in Numbers and also in Genesis. And this is passed down from Daniel. A scepter shall not depart from jacob and from judah hmm. and so how did they know that just looking at the stars well here's what i want to bring out let's just talk about first of all let's talk about the speculation all right and then i'll tell you what i what, what i believe it is and so there's a lot of speculation about what the star i'm sure eric you've you've heard a lot and i'm sure our listeners you've, you've heard a lot or you've maybe come to a conclusion on your own about what the what the star of bethlehem could possibly be how about this one have you heard that it might be might have been a comet I've heard that. Yeah, one. I've
1: I've heard comet. Yeah, I've heard comet. Comet doesn't make any sense though because comets are ridiculously predictable. Like they're plus yeah. or minus days. Like there's one that's occurred in, in both yours and my lifetime called Halley's comet. Halley's comet. It's a big one. Yeah, it's a big one. It is dependable. It is reliable. It's on like a seventy odd year cycle, eighty odd yeah. year cycle, and uh, we're about halfway through it now. I'm unlike I I'm not necessarily likely to see it, but I could. It was, I was just a little too young when it passed by us the last time. And those cycles are, are true of all comets. And yep. some of them are hundreds of years. Some of them are 20 years. Some of them are, you know, somewhere in between. And there isn't one that appeared in the time frame that we right. know Jesus was born in. Right.
0: That, and that's, that's, a, that's a point I was going to bring up. These cultures throughout the years, for, for thousands of years, actually take painstaking Records of the comets, because comets were viewed often as omens and and major major things happening, and so so it would be very unlikely that a large significant comet like this would have happened, and no nobody would have written about it, nobody would have taken note. So there's there's no records of a of a comet happening. Also, besides that, um, if you go on to re- if you know the story, um, I'll just summarize it. If you know the story, you know that this star, whatever it was, acted a little bit weird all right? It appeared, it disappeared, it appeared to stop. Have you ever heard of that? It it looked like it stopped over the place where the child was, verse 9. It says, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Have you ever heard of a star that goes before you and then it stops over a place where you should go? Like, what is this? Comets, from a scientific perspective, a comet is a big chunk of rock and ice. Basically it's a giant asteroid, but it's got ice on it, which is why you you see the tail, and it's on what's called a heliocentric orbit. Helio meaning sun. So this thing is not around Earth, obviously, but it's also not just flying out in space. This thing is actually in orbit around the sun just like we are, but it's on a very predictable, like you said Eric, very predictable trajectory. You can you can look at it and you can do the math and you can figure out, you know, when it's going to come back, which is what they've done with Halley's comet. That's why you can predict when it's coming back. But as it passes by the sun, you see that tail come off of it, and that's the the ice and stuff, you know, melting and 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 shooting off, and so you have the tail, but nothing about it, from our perspective on Earth, uh, or even physically, causes it to stop. That's just that's just, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So interesting. All right. So another one is people have talked about maybe it's a supernova, which is like a star system, you know, or something exploding, and there's this gas and all this stuff. Well, again does that move and does that stop? I mean those things are so far away. If a star explodes, man, number one everyone's going to know about it. And it's interesting that you see in this in this passage that the people of Jerusalem were not aware of a king being born, right? So this tells yeah. this is a clue. This tells me that whatever it was in the sky was supernatural enough for the wise men to take note of it, but not so crazy that everybody knew about it. Everybody was like, whoa, there's a super no, you know, something really, really, really major happened that everybody, it's the talk of the town. No. So in verse two, it says they were saying now in the Greek, I want to point out that word saying carries this idea of not, uh, of saying and saying and saying and saying, which means they were asking and asking and asking. They weren't, they didn't just show up to Jerusalem and say, Hey, where's the King of the Jews? And the first person they they, they met said, Oh, I'm glad you're here. You know, we've been talking. No, it was like, they asked one person and nobody knew they asked again they asked again they asked again They're saying and saying and saying and saying continually until this this came before the king basically so I just think that's a, that's an important clue that whatever it was that happened had to have been something that the wise men or the magi noticed through their studies but it wasn't big enough to where everybody knew about it so I think that's important it's a subtle one but I think that's a it's an important clue okay so we're talking about supernova stuff like that now I want to talk about what, Johannes Kepler? Have you heard of Kepler? Maybe you've heard of Kepler?
1: If you haven't heard of Kepler, you should at least have heard the name because there's yeah. at least one space telescope, and I think there's at least one on Earth that's called the Kepler Space Telescope. And I'm pretty sure there's at least one orbiting uh, the Earth as well that's Kepler because of all his discoveries. And he, we're still using yes. the things he discovered yeah. to modify astronomy and how we look at space and the stars today. And he lived and four, 500 years ago.
0: Cur- current satellite launches, we, you know, we're using the basics of the, the Keplerian laws of planetary motion. You know, these are the things that describe how the planets and how things interact in space. It's really interesting. So you might not know this, but so Kepler himself, when he started getting into astronomy and started making these discoveries, guess what the first thing he started applying his new equations for guess what's the first thing you think of <laughs> that he started? What do you think it is, Eric? The first thing he started studying. The star of Bethlehem.
1: That would be where I would go, just like Gutenberg yep. did with the first printable type book. Right, the guy went, yep. "Hey, let's print the
0: Bible." Come on, I'm telling you. And so Kepler was fascinated with this whole thing. And so basically, in the course of and this is what I've read from, and I have, uh, I have the. The reference here, this is from an astronomy in and around Prague, a physical mathematics book. This is called the Supplementum of the Mathematica et Physica, volume 46, and pages 115 through 125, for those of you who are interested in looking that up. But listen to this. It says, in 1604, Kepler observed a new star, new star, interesting, and believed in a connection to a special and very rare planetary conjunction. I'll explain what that means in a moment. After a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, Jupiter met Mars. Kepler speculated that the star of Bethlehem might be a new star which was generated after a similar conjunction, and he recalculated it for 6 and 7, 6 or 7 BC. So a conjunction, and actually there, there are, this is not terribly uncommon, but it's when two planets or two, two bodies in the solar system, but let's talk about planets. It's when these two planets come very, very close together relative to our viewing from Earth. And so from us on Earth, it looks like these two planets get really, really close, all right? Now, if a conjunction is close enough to the naked eye without the aid of a tel- telescope or anything of that nature, it can appear to be a new star because the mm-hmm. brightness from both of these objects, basically, if, if they don't cover each other up and they get really, really, really close to the unaided eye, uh, you know, you'll, you'll think it's a new star because it's like, wow, that's... That looks different. Remember these people, you know, especially the Magi, they were studying these things. They were tracking the motion. And they were like, whoa, what's going on here? So what happened was Kepler observed a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, right? He's looking up there. He's tracking it. They appear to get super, super close, really close, so, so close that he's like, wait a minute. That looks like a new star, but it's not a new star because new stars don't just like form like that overnight. And then he's like, wait a minute. That's a conjunction. Aha. Aha. Maybe the Bethlehem star was a planetary conjunction. So mm-hmm. he ran the numbers. He did the math by hand, which is amazing. And he was looking at BC 6 and 7. He was not able to produce any results. The reason why, and I'm gonna, this is where I'm going to get into another source, and I, I do want to, to stay here for a moment on this particular source because I think this is really awesome. It's, it's interesting that Kepler was looking at those years based on an assumption of when Herod, King Herod that we've been talking about this whole time, when King Herod died. If you can find out when King Herod died, you can date back and because you know how long he lived, you can date back and, and generally try to figure out when Christ was born. And so you're, there, people are trying to figure out, you know, exactly when, when Jesus was born based on Herod's death. Apparently, Kepler was using the wrong, the wrong Herod. Apparently, according to the source that I'm going to quote here in a minute. All right. So this source that I want to mention is is called uh, this guy's name is Rick Larson. And he has a and I've linked it to the notes in the show here and you can click on it. And you can you can check it out. But this is an awesome source. It's called The Star of Bethlehem. It's a DVD that we've been watching and our family watches it every single year. It's super fun. But the cool thing about this guy is Rick Larson is not an astronomer. He's not a scientist. This guy is a lawyer. And he started studying the star basically as a Bible study at his at his little church, and this is what I love about this story: is Rick Larson is think about it, he's a lawyer. Lawyers know the letter of the law, right? They look for loopholes. They also look for logic. And so, what what I love about how Rick Larson has gone through the star of Bethlehem is that he takes the scripture and he pulls out uh, nine different characteristics of the star of Bethlehem. The fact that it moves the way that it rises in the East, the way that it, you know, whatever you name it, there's, there's nine things. I'm not going to go into it. And he says, look, I'm going to study these things out. And he's like, if it doesn't match one of them, throw it out. It's, it's the wrong assumption, right? You know, it's, it's not the story. It has to meet, I and mean, then this guy is just, you know, total s- sticking to the point. He's like, it has to meet all nine criteria. And he goes through it, and so that's why I'm like, I'm saying this video is so amazing. I really, really encourage you to check it out. Star Bethlehem, Rick Larson. And so, that, that's who I'm going to talk about for a moment here. So, So, Larson says that Kepler believed that Herod died I guess, in four, 4 BC. So he was looking at the 6 to 7 BC range. His calculations were based on a faulty year of Herod dying, is what, I'm, is what he's saying. He didn't look for star the star in some different years. But according to Josephus, which many of you have heard of Josephus, he's a Jewish historian, he places Herod's death in 1 BC. The whole point of this is that if Kepler was calculating the wrong dates and, and, and doing all this, he wasn't able to find the conjunction he was looking for and it just didn't work out. What Larson found is that with the aid of modern computers, because now we don't have to do it all by hand, because can you imagine doing calculations? You can do it by hand, but the planetary motion follows laws of mathematics and physics. So you can actually back calculate through time what these things did in in years past, and which is what Kepler did by hand. Nowadays, we have computers. Praise the Lord for computers. We can run that thing. Man, you you, you get the code going, you get all the planetary motion, gravitational parameters, all this stuff. You can do it. And then just hit go, and it'll back calculate for you, and you can see this stuff. So this is what Rick Larson is doing in this video, is he's using software to model the night sky. What he shares is absolutely stunning. Ready? We're going to talk about the star Bethlehem. Let's do it. All right, so what he finds when when he calculates it based on Herod's death in 1 BC, he starts looking at different dates. So he starts looking at September of 3 BC, all right? So if herod died in 1 bc and not in 6 to 7 or sorry 4 bc that means that you can look at some different dates and so he's looking at september of 3 bc based on his research again i don't know all i don't know it all and i'm not going to go into it but check this out in the software if you're looking from babylon okay remember we talked about how the wise men the magi could have come from babylon let's assume they came from babylon great so that's what rick larson does he says let's let's assume they came from babylon so you're looking at the night sky from Babylon and you're looking in the east because if you look at the Greek text it says we saw his star rising in the east. It doesn't mean we, it doesn't necessarily mean we saw his star when we were in the east, which is also true. We saw his star in rising in the east. So if you look at it like that way, guess what you find? You you see Jupiter and Regulus. Regulus is a star. But it was known uh, to this day regulus meaning where we get the word regal from meaning king so it's the king star and jupiter also was known as the king planet so that's interesting right and so what you see is you see a jupiter regulus conjunction right so jupiter and regulus come super super close together again not super uncommon for a conjunction of that nature however it is interesting you see the king planet you see the king star hmm so the astronomers are thinking, hey, that's, that's cool, it happens, that's interesting, right? However, here's what's really interesting. If it, when, when Larson propagates this model forward, he sees Jupiter perform a halo around Regulus three times. So it's a conjunction once, it loops up, it does a conjunction again, it loops around and it does a conjunction a third time. Now that is very, very rare in astronomy. So that's interesting. Again, and I'm not trying to extrapolate or make, make, make a claim here, but I'm just saying that is something that would have caught their attention. To see a conjunction, that's, that's a, you know, you can look at it on your news feed on, on, on your phone. It'll, it'll tell you there's a conjunction. That's kind of uncommon. It's not super rare. You're like, wow, that's cool. But a triple condu- conjunction between the king planet and the king star, and if you will, drawing a halo around it three times, I can see some symbolism in that. It gets crazier after this, but I just think that's really interesting to start out with. One more thing to add to this. Guess where all this is happening in the night sky. It's literally happening inside the constellation of Leo. Now, Leo is... Eric, do you know what Leo is in, in the constellations? I know Leo is a lion. It's a lion. Does that ring a bell with any of the prophecies we've been reading about today? About Do you know what... Um,
1: well, Judah was often referred to as a lion.
0: That's correct. Judah is the sign of the tribe of Judah is a lion. Interesting. So now we have, that's the connection to the Jewish people. And if you know the prophecies, these Magi, again, if they, if they were well-versed in the prophecies, expecting the Savior to come, uh, you know, and again, Daniel from the Jewish people, you see Leo, you see this king, king, king thing happening. You're like, king, Judah, king, Jews, right? interesting mm-hmm. and that's just the yeah. science that's just looking up at the night sky and again these guys so maybe nobody would have noticed that right they would have jupiter con- you know having a conjunction with regulus eh i don't know it's not super spectacular and certainly no one nobody's tracking it over time to watch it do it three times and, and the halo and the, they may have noticed but they may have also just kind of said well coincidence right i think it's interesting now here's something that's really crazy during this triple conjunction We also see something else. So as if that wasn't enough, listen to this. This is something that I had never heard before and that Larson brought out that I thought was just wonderful. Let's fast forward. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. You're like, Revelation, what are you talking about? This is the Christmas story. Well, in Revelation chapter 12, we have an interesting story or an interesting account here that I believe ties in here very well. And you may have wondered about this when you read it and wondered what the connection was, and I'm going to show it to you right now. Revelation chapter 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in the heavens. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. Listen to this. To devour her child as soon as it was born. Verse five. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. That child is representative of the Messiah. That's Jesus. So this is talking about Satan being right there, ready to eat the child, trying to kill the child when he was born. Well, what happened as you read the story, I'm, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but I'm also assuming that you've read the story. What happened later, as you'll find out, is that Herod sends um, an entourage to, to Bethlehem later and massacres the children that are, that are in Bethlehem, trying to kill the coming king but he was mistaken and it didn't work mm-hmm. but satan was crouched at the door mm-hmm. trying to kill the christ child right so revelation what does this have to do with this so, so what, I, what i wanted to point out was that that was revelation 12 speaks of the birth of jesus christ isn't this interesting here it says woman clothed with the sun and a moon under her feet hmm. if the christ child was born from the woman who, who was the woman not a trick question who, who was the woman that bore jesus right this was the Virgin Mary. Okay. Well, if you're looking, and again, R- Larson goes through this with this, this whole animation, but when you run the animation forward and you see the Jupiter triple conjunction with Regulus inside the constellation of Leo, guess what else is happening? You have the, the constellation Virgo, which is the Virgin, right? And you notice that at this exact same time, you have the sun is over Leo. So you can't, it's interesting. You can't, you couldn't see this in real life, right? Because the sun, when the sun's out, you can't see the stars, but through the computer software, you can see where the positions, you look at the positions and Mm -hmm. you have the Virgin, you have Virgo clothed with the sun, just like the scripture says. And if you keep going on the animation, guess what? The moon is at her feet at the same time. Remember in the scripture, it said the moon Mm. clothed with the sun, with the moon at her feet. And if you run the animation during this triple conjunction, that's exactly what was happening in the sky. Wow. Crazy. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is some good stuff. And so what Larson then did at that point was let's if that was the maybe that was conception. Right. Let's let's assume that perhaps that was when, you know, the angel spoke to Mary and that was conception. Right. So he's like, let's fast forward nine months. (laughs) You know, see what happens nine months. So he goes forward nine months. And what he finds is another conjunction. But listen to this. You have Jupiter and Venus as a conjunction. Mm -hmm. The two brightest objects in the sky besides the sun and the moon are Venus, number one, and then Jupiter. Mm -hmm. Those are the Mm -hmm. two brightest planets you can possibly have. Now, to have those in conjunction would, in fact, be the very brightest star anyone had ever seen. If you've ever seen Venus up there, you're like, is that a plane? <laughs> what is that, man? That thing yeah. is re- really, really bright. Yeah. Um, and then Jupiter, of course, is the second brightest. So having those two in conjunction would have been absolutely tremendous. So think about this. like These, these magi, knowing what they know and seeing those signs in the heavens, would have known something was up. This, this would have been evidence to them, I believe. Knowing the prophecies of Daniel, holding his, his writings as sacred as they did. To me, that, that would have probably convinced me to, to go on this journey because that is, I guess, you know, tracking and doing all the stuff. That's like, this is the sign we've been looking for. And so they wrote right. and they made their way.
1: The question I have then becomes, becomes kind of twofold. One, so we have the Regulus-Jupiter yeah. conjunction along with the Virgo, Sun and Moon, conjunction of sorts. It's not really a conjunction. We sure. weren't close enough. But is that when they left on their journey or did they wait until the Jupiter Venus conjunction to go, wait, no, this is, this is bigger than even. And the other part of all this to some extent, and this is where my second question comes in. So I'll, I'll try not to jump around too much, but let me finish the first thing. So we have Kingly, this Kingly conjunction mixed yeah. with a, a Virgin conjunction. Mm-hmm. We have the, and then we have this Really bright Jupiter Venus conjunction, which yes, they are ridiculously bright planets. You can look up. We did. I was I was out last night, yeah. and I looked up, and the boys were like, "What's that?" And I'm like, "Hang on, let me check." And what do you know? It's Jupiter because it, I have an app on my phone that lets me.
0: I did too. Up at Isn't fun?
1: Yeah, Sky Guide is the one I use. I don't know which one you. <laughs> me have, too.
0: Technology's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, so really, really cool. You can just take it, point your. It does GPS tracking, and it like figures out where you are. And sometimes yeah. it's off by a few degrees, but you know you can figure it out. But The second part of all this is there's a lot of mysticism here that we're talking about. We're talking a lot about mythical things. We're talking about commonly referred to constellations that are Mm -hmm. horoscopes and, and things like that. Are we conjecturing here that the Magi were thinking that because they saw these stars in these conjunctions that... They needed to go because it was their astrological belief that something was going on. So they were just going to follow it. And if nothing came of it, we would never hear about it in history. We all know that God can use wild circumstances to do whatever he wants. Referenced earlier in this podcast, Balaam, the soothsayer, basically, who couldn't curse Israel, is that where you're coming in on that? I'm just trying to understand. I just want to yeah. maybe flesh out the theory a little bit more. If it's not a point, that's fine. I'm just curious if that's where then do you think they left? Do you think they left after Venus-Jupiter? Because 1,200 miles on a camel is not going to take a week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's going to take months, possibly yeah. years. I mean, we're yeah. talking about something that can go... 30 miles a day and that's at like top speed so it's, probably call it 10 to 20
0: miles a day especially when you consider what we're about to talk about which is it was more than just three guys on camels like we're talking an entourage so so yeah yeah that's a good point so I'm glad you brought that up first I want to talk about what you what you asked about like the horoscopes and the sign and, and that type of thing and then we'll talk about like the timing so in fact while you were talking I just flipped back to Genesis so this is something I really want to I want to bring out to our listeners, like you got to understand I was born in a Christian home and anything to do with astrology or horoscopes was just like off the menu. It's like, we don't go near that. We don't talk. We don't, we yep, don't touch too. it. We don't dabble in it. Right. That stuff's, you know, demonic. And I believe, and that's actually, that's actually true is there's, there's, there's demonic influence when it comes to like, you know, having the stars dictate your life and those types of things like that's, that's a whole nother thing. But I don't want you to be afraid of looking at the stars and looking at the signs and looking at those things. And here's why. Listen to this. And I'm just, this is just one example of several, but in Genesis, when, when God starts this thing, listen to what he says. He says, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. He's talking about the moon and the sun and listen to what he says. Let them be for signs and seasons. And for days and years, signs and seasons, that's not just calendar days and years. That's the calendar part, but signs and seasons, God literally created the stars and the constellations and all these things. What I I believe for this purpose, for the purpose of showing forth prophecy and proving prophecy to us in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus himself talks about signs in the heavens and certain things happening i don't know if i don't even know if it's a fine line it's just like i think we need to look at what the bible says about the appropriate way to look at the constellations and to look at the stars and realize that these are signs that show us where we are prophetically and what god's doing but not that they are entities to be worshipped themselves or that they are the ones dictating our future or we're worshiping the stars we're worshiping the constellations and stuff and i think that's where people get off track and especially where bible people i'm calling us bible people right kind of have this hands-off approach, oh, you know, I don't want to go anywhere near that. Well, hold on. Like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. God created him, right? And it says here in Genesis, he created him for signs and for seasons. Well, signs means you look at it and it's supposed to be like a, whoa, what's going on? Where are we going here? Like, it's supposed to be something that shows you something for that purpose. And then the seasons is basically to show you where you are prophetically, what's happening, what's what's God doing in the world. So, I hope that answers the question. I just I, I'm glad you brought that up because I know for me, this would have been a little bit too much for me to handle probably. Oh, we're looking at the stars and we're reading things. Well, but listen to this. Psalm chapter 19, right? And this is just, this isn't in my notes, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his hand or handiwork. Right. Right. Day into day utter speech and night into night reveals knowledge. This is, I absolutely, the, the heavens declare his glory. He He's the one who created, the Bible says he's the one who calls all the stars by their name. He's the one who put them up there. You know he knows what he's doing you know it makes sense to me that he having orchestrated all this would use that as a way to speak to his people and and use it as a sign because it's like when i look up there and and this even what do you do with this information right here right i look at that and i'm like okay um (laughs) that's pretty crazy like who else could have orchestrated this whole idea of the king planet the conjunction the halo the the rising of the thing, you know, of, of the constellation and the moon at the feet, right? All these crazy things, which as far as probability goes, are just impossible to be a fulfillment of prophecy that the Old Testament, you know, prophesied about hundreds of years before. In fact, thousands of years in the case of Genesis. So to me, that's like, that's just a signature of God Almighty, the God of the Bible. Like, and I I want people to be encouraged with that, you know, if you're on the fence or whatever, and if you're like... Well, Justin's talking about the Bible again, you know, man, this just encourages me. That just is cool. And it just shows the signature, you know, of the one who actually wrote this thing. I think it's cool. So that, that, that is, that is fun. So without getting too much into detail, the star has to be able to stop. Remember, let's talk about that just for a moment. You know, some of you may know that from your high school physics class or whenever you first started hearing about Kepler, if you ever did, that originally planets were known as wandering stars, I don't know if you've ever heard that but they discovered early on they discovered planets because they were they behaved differently than stars. Stars are so incredibly far away that they appear to be stopped, right? I mean, the yep. earth is rotating, but we're the ones rotating and so they they're moving. Yep. But relative to one another, they're not really moving that much. I mean, you can see how Orion has shifted over like thousands of years and it's like not that much right so in in a person's lifetime or in like a group of lifetimes the the backdrop of the stars isn't going to change that much but how many of you know that the planets are moving on a day-to-day basis you can see the movement of the planets in a relative in a short period of time like we've been talking about you you and I have seen conjunctions of Jupiter and Saturn I've seen other things You, you hear on the news oh the planets are all lined up well they move right and that's because of what's called relative motion, right? We're spinning. Everything is spinning. <laughs> it's yeah. a crazy dynamics problem, which it blows my mind that we can even have our, have our heads wrapped around it. But what, there's this thing called retrograde motion. And I want to be careful to, to, to mention that planets don't literally physically stop and turn around or do anything like that, right? They're on orbits and they're going in circles. They're, they're not perfect circles, but they're really close to perfect circles, actually. Like, just so you know, they're actually really close. But they're going, they're going on orbits and they're just going, go, go, go. And they're spinning around their own axes, right? But we're not concerned about that for the purpose of this talk. But what happens is relative to where you and I are on earth, if we're at the right place in the orbit and let's say Jupiter's out there and it's you know just the right relative motion, relative velocity positions and all that type of stuff, Jupiter will appear. Like we were talking about, it draws a halo around Regulus, right? In real yeah. life, it didn't actually like, stop or anything but it looks like if you have something called retrograde motion which it just means relative to where you're standing it looks like it stops and turns around and goes backwards i know that's kind of hard to to conceptualize but just think about everything is spinning everything is moving and in in a relative frame or in in what's called an inertial frame or non-moving reference frame they spin around the sun just like we used to make little models of in, in elementary school, okay? So you can think about that as an inertial frame. But relative to a person on a spinning earth, you can actually have what's called retrograde motion, which makes it look like a planet appears to stop and to turn around. And so that's what I believe is what's happening when we see in Matthew chapter 2. Let's go back to the Bible. We've been talking about other things, which is good, but we always want to go back to the Bible. Matthew chapter 2. And it says here, when they had heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. We talked about this earlier. It's like, does a comet stop? No. I mean, even with retrograde motion, a comet, you know, it's, it's on such a large orbit and all this type of stuff. It, it's just not, none of that can yep. be explained. The planetary motion with retrograde relative motion could totally do this. And so I, I believe that that's what happened. And interestingly enough, that's what uh, Larson found in his research with these these programs. He actually found that the conjunction between Jupiter and Venus actually did a retrograde motion relative to the Earth, relative to Jerusalem. Mm. Mm. And it did, in fact, stop over that. So I think that's interesting. I I love it. I, I love this kind of stuff. I just I just think it's cool.
1: And the crazy thing about that then is like, I assume we're talking about that go toward the Jupiter-Regulus yeah. conjunction. Venus is a whole lot closer to us than Jupiter is. So Venus moves a lot faster. Um, Venus has like a, I don't remember what its solar orbit is.
0: It's, it's 225 days, according to, to the Google. According to the Google, it's 225 days. And Jupiter is yeah. like significantly longer than that, but Jupiter's
1: just really big. That's why it's so bright because it's just, it's super massive.
0: And it's way out there.
1: Yeah, getting those two really close and making them stand on top of each other like that, it can't have happened all that quick unless Venus somehow moved into Jupiter's orbit in a hurry compared to where Jupiter had been just months before over Regulus. So I guess, and this is something maybe we can't calculate or we can't determine is when did they depart versus when did this all, again, long journey. We're talking months. Like caravan of camels is probably 10 miles a day. So, you're talking
0: long time, thousand miles, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're talking a thousand (laughs) miles, you're talking 100 days is a thousand miles, 120 days is 1200 miles. And that's the max. Like, uh, I'm saying that's the max you can
0: do. I'm like, it's probably less. What Renner says in his book here, his source says that if they're traveling a distance of a thousand to 1200 miles, traveling that type of distance in the ancient world with large caravans would have taken anywhere between three to 12 months. So, okay. We'll see. So
1: it's, it's possible then that if they see the regulus thing and depending on, and the other thing we don't have is like an actual t- exact, well, you have S- September of three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, then we have
0: June, June. So I didn't mention this, but nine months later is June of, uh, of, uh, so June of, uh, two BC. Okay. That's, that's nine months after September of three BC and. Well, this is interesting. Um, what what Larson brings out, and I'm just gonna skip to this without without backing it up. But he basically says that by by the calculations of the software, when uh when the star, or sorry, when the Bethlehem star, I should say, the conjunction of Ju- Jupiter's Venus, uh, Jup, what did I just say, Jupiter's Venus? Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> That was good. I like that. Let's keep going. All right. So this Jupiter-Venus thing, um, it, it does a conjunction again. Now listen to this. When it does it again, it actually stops, okay, and get this, on the date 1225, that's December 25th of 2 B.C.,
1: Justin, that's nuts. It's so strange how, like, that—that that is it. And, I mean, tradition holds, and we, we talked about this a little bit last year, it's unlikely that Jesus was born on December 25th. In fact, it's yeah. it's almost certainly not. It's more likely it was spring. Passover lamb, as we discussed last year, or shepherds watching lambs in the field, like, that was something that right. would indicate that, that was this was not a fall-winter birth. This was a springtime birth. And it also kind of makes sense for travel as well for the census. You wouldn't want to do a census in the middle of winter, even in the arid climate that is the Middle East. You would want to do it yeah. in, in the spring and summer when travel is probably a little bit easier. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, I think what's interesting about this is that that's when the star stopped. And so we're going to get into this in a minute, but I think my personal belief, and again, you can't—I don't know if you can prove this or not—but I think my my personal belief on this is that this may have been the first Christmas, as far as when the Magi showed up, or something of that nature, when they when they showed up and they gave the first gifts. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, I mean, the research—I don't know—I'm uh, not actually an expert on any of this by any means, <laughs> but uh, but that, that, that's kind of what I think, and I, and I think it's interesting. So, um, so we are going to get more into the Magi here, and I want to talk about how back to Matthew chapter two, and I want you to notice that. It says, when they heard the king, they departed. This is Matthew chapter two and verse nine. And they said, when they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood. That's what we just talked about over the, where the young child was. And again, I believe that when it came and stood, I believe astronomically, what, what, what we're talking about is a wandering stars, namely Jupiter and Venus in, in a conjunction. I, I think that that evidence holds and... It definitely checks all the boxes. And again, I encourage you, the listeners, to check out this Larson video that I have in the notes here. So absolutely wonderful stuff, and I, I think it's awesome. But notice that they came into the house. And so, Eric, you recall, of course, last year we talked about the cave. This is really interesting, Eric. You know, you and I have talked a little bit about this in preparation, but I think you're going you're gonna to find this very interesting. I know I did during my studies. When did the Magi come? you know, let's just let me just start out by saying when we see these greeting cards and we see these videos, in fact, before we recorded, the boys and I were watching this really cute little animated movie and it's got the three wise yep. men, you know, and all this stuff. And and sure enough, they they show up like the day. Oh, oh, you know, actually, let me back up in the movie. OK, I'm going somewhere. This is a small rabbit trail, but this is going to tie back to something we talked about earlier in the podcast in the movie the star shows up, right? This bright, sh- uh, shiny star shows up and the wise men are like, whoa. And so it, the video shows them following this thing. And it's 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 super bright, right? Day and night, day and night, day and night. This thing is just like over, hovering over Bethlehem, you know, the entire movie, right? And, and they go from the east, which also today, by the way, I just did a calculation for my aerospace research and I don't want to bo- bother everybody with this and bore you, but I was doing horizon calculations. So like how far can is the horizon away from where you're standing. Right. Right. You can, you can calculate that because you know, the curvature of the earth. And if you assume that the earth is um, bald, we call it a bald earth. <laughs> it doesn't have any mountains or anything. <laughs> and uh, you can, you can calculate, you know, roughly what the, what the horizon is. Right. And so I'm thinking about this, right. These guys are in Babylon. There's so many, Remember we talked about uh, so many thousands of miles away and I'm looking at it and I'm like, wait a minute, the horizon calculations don't make sense. You know, and, and like my brain is working. Right. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then it, it, it dawned on me. I like in this moment right now, I remember that you asked earlier about the star. So in this movie, it's it's going the whole time. But you know what? That conjunction, and I think you brought this up a second ago, didn't you? Where the conjunction, it's like, well, how does that happen and stay perfectly in alignment through all, these, all this time? Right. I don't think it did. I think it had a conjunction in the beginning, which was a sign to them that said, whoa, we just saw this Regulus thing. We just saw this King uh, Halo triple conjunction thing. Whoa! What's going on? There's something happening in Judah. Could this be it? Nine months later, they see the conjunction. They're like, you know what? It's it's it happened. Game on! And I and I believe the conjunction. Right? It passes. the The, the planets keep moving. Right. And so then that started, I I my my personal conjecture is that it disappeared at that point. But that was enough to those guys to say, hey, this is it. They know the scriptures. They know the stories. They know Daniel's writings. They know Judah. All the stuff. Like, let's head towards Israel. And again, this is conjecture. But this is what 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 i'm piecing together and that that's why earlier when we saw we we see herod i just read this a moment ago when they heard the king they departed and behold the star which they had seen came and stood still over the over, over where the child was and listen to this this is uh, matthew chapter 2 verse 10 when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy mm-hmm. and again back to the magi and these very dignified orientals you know And you look at this in the Greek and it's like this exceedingly great joy is like throwing a party. Like they're extremely excited. And I believe that's because they saw that second conjunction. And that second conjunction uh, basically literally showed them where to go to go meet with Jesus. And, you know, specifically. So
1: I just want to clarify just because we've talked a lot about conjunctions and things like that. So we've got the regulus. Conjunction, yeah. Regulus-Jupiter, right? So it's going... Yeah, that's correct. Jupiter halos Regulus three times. Yes. And, and that was enough to was say, in- go, because something's happening. And then when they get to Herod and they they haven't seen any new sign, they haven't seen anything for a while, and now we get Jupiter and Venus coming together... Yes, in a, in a very bright thing. And that's the thing that says, now we get to go to Bethlehem. We're in, we're in Jerusalem, but this isn't happening in Jerusalem. It's happening in, in Bethlehem. Although I think you're going to talk yes. about that.
0: Yeah, I am. I am. Okay. So what I think happened, I, I think you almost said it the way that I would have said it. So I think the Regulus-Jupiter conjunction inside the constellation of Leo, remember, and we have the virgin Virgo, Rising at that exact same moment, rising with the you know she's clothed with the sun, with the moon at her feet. I think all of those signs together. I mean, those are three like Judah, Virgo, and the Regulus crowning. I think that, I mean those are at, at least three major like signs you know that could point right. to any reasonable person. I think who knows you know what, what these guys presumably knew about Daniel's prophecies. That was probably enough for them to say, okay, action is happening, and then the conjecture. From my, my conjecture is that they waited and. Then when they saw the first conjunction, that was enough to, to get them to go toward, towards Judah. Because now they, they see the conjunction the first time and they're like, whoa, something happened. Okay, it's actually game on. This is nine months later. We know it happened. Got it. Okay. And then w- what we just discussed a minute ago, this 2 BC 1225 conjunction was actually the second conjunction. And again, this, is, this goes back to Larson and what he propagated in the astronomy software. So there was actually these two conjunctions separated. So again, yeah, 1225 could be the first Christmas. And so that's why I think that these guys re- rejoice with such exceedingly great joy because they started out their journey seeing the, this this bright star that no one had ever seen before, which was actually the conjunction, which they knew. But then it disappeared for a while, because again, that's how the star, that's how the planets move, right? They they don't stay in conjunction right. forever, like like you mentioned, they they're on different orbits and all this. And so it happened. But the fact that it happened again when they were there, when they asked Herod where the child was and all this stuff, and then they go out and then he tells them to go to Bethlehem, which is south, okay. So they start, I mean, they may have started going south, whatever, they're, they're going south. But then they see the star and they exceed, They rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Now, with all due respect to tradition, I understand tradition says that the wise men and the, the Magi went to Bethlehem, but I'm going to show you from scripture why I personally believe that it was actually Nazareth that they went to. And so to start out for this, I want to start out by mentioning that In the beginning of Matthew chapter two, the very first couple words, it says now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. I want you to notice it was after, not during or not, Mm -hmm. you know, not right after. This might be a little subtle, but it does say after. So that's just something as I'm studying, I'm like, hmm, now after Jesus was born. And so I guess the first thing to note is that if it says after Jesus was born, uh, it means that they couldn't have been there the moment he was born, right? <laughs> like it, it had already happened. So we, we can say that. But what I really want you to notice is, is is, to see this whole picture, I think with the timing of the Magi, we have to go over to Luke's gospel chapter two. And so we saw Matthew chapter two, uh, which tells several details, of course, into Jesus's early life. But Luke chapter two, interestingly enough, Luke chapter two tells us all the details of the Christmas story as we know it traditionally, With the angels and with the swaddling clothes. And we studied that last year. Now, we talked about this in the very beginning of the podcast, why why I think Matthew was the only one to share about the Magi. And I think part of that is what I said earlier, which was the fact that it was for a Jewish audience and the signs and the seasons and those types of things would have really blown their minds, right? But there's something else I didn't tell you. And I think it's because you got to understand Luke... If you read Luke and you read Acts, you realize this was written by a doctor, Dr. Luke. This guy was very scientific. You know, the yes. words that he used were intelligent, very scientific, you know, medical terminology. This guy was a scholar. This guy was a painstakingly accurate historian. So therefore, like, my question is, why didn't this guy write about the Magi? And not only that, but did you know this, Eric, that he apparently, Luke, got his gospel and a lot of the details from his gospel from uh, Mary herself the mother of Jesus. And that's how he wrote about so many of these details about her story. So I think that's really interesting. Mm. So again, this gives weight to, to Luke as a writer and how awesome Luke was. But Luke records the really, really early stuff and he doesn't record anything you know, like Matthew does and Matthew records the later stuff. So I just think to me, that's one reason why Luke didn't write about the Magi is Luke really focused on all the early stuff and you notice almost nothing is said about, about anything in the later stuff from Luke, but Matthew talks about the later stuff, about the Magi. So, but okay, so back to Luke. I, I'm rambling. So back to Luke. Check this out. In, in chapter 2, in verse, I'll read verse 20. If you know the story, this is after the birth of Jesus and the shepherds uh, return. It says in verse 20, it says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told them. Verse 21, And when eight days were completed, For the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. In the Old Testament, we have all these rules about circumcision and purification of a woman who gives birth, right? In Exodus, let's see, it's Exodus chapter 13, there are the laws of the firstborn. And it basically is God speaking to Moses and the children of Israel about how every firstborn of the family is to be dedicated to God. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, not only that, but after the you know on the eighth day, you know the the male child was was to be circumcised, and so we see here in verse twenty one of Luke chapter two that Mary and Joseph are following the law, and on the eighth day they're having Jesus be circumcised. What am I getting at? Well, they're still in Bethlehem, probably. Yeah. Right. Like like you said that you know they're probably still in... now. You got to realize too, this is like this is like a census vacation. Like they're not getting paid for this, so this is a <laughs> expensive situation. This is a mm-hmm. I mean, how would you feel, Eric, like going, you know, Hey Eric, go back to Canada or something, you know, and you got to sign your name and do a census like on your own dime kind of thing. Like, and you're going to miss work. Like however long you're going to be gone, you're going to miss work. So this was, this was a big deal. Now listen to this. I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this verse 22. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses were completed, then they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Well, the days of purification in those days for a woman after giving birth to a male child was thirty-three days. She had she was unclean, ceremonially unclean for thirty-three days after giving birth to to a male. This was in addition to the eighth day, and so you wait eight days, you get the boy circumcised. She's 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 ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, and then she has to wait another thirty-three days. So that's a total of forty-one days. And the reason this is important is what I'm bringing out here is that it says. After the days were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem was very close; was only five, roughly five miles away from Bethlehem. So, Wait. like you were mentioning earlier, they were probably they may have been staying with family or something. So, it's probably conceivable that they were still in Bethlehem at this time, and they took Jesus to Jerusalem, which was close, whereas Nazareth is not close. for For this whole dedication in the temple, and that's where we read in Luke chapter two, Simeon and we and we see Anna, these this prophetess who who uh, you know praise and ministers and, and, um, prophesize over the Christ child. Right. you with me. Yeah. Listeners. You with me? Eric? You yeah. With me? <laughs> no, no, you're
1: making sense. This is, yeah, I'm, I was just, I'm looking through it cause it's on my other screen. So I'm, I'm
0: paying attention to yep. where you're going and I'm, I'm following along. Cool. He's in Bethlehem. Again, this is an expensive thing, but think about like going that far from now. Okay. let me, let me, let me just back up one more time. How do we know that they started in Nazareth? If you go back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So Mary and Joseph, assuming they were living in the same town, <laughs> at least Mary for sure because of scripture, they were in Nazareth before the census, right? Right? They traveled from nazareth all the way south way down to jerusalem and then further to bethlehem to do the census so they're down there they do the days of purification and then so they're they're still in in bethlehem and then they go to they go to jerusalem now listen to this in luke chapter 2 after the dedication of the baby to the lord in the temple Verse 39 of Luke chapter two says, so when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, their own city, Nazareth. Ah, their own city. See, there it is. Mm -hmm. So so both of their own city. So, So Joseph was there too. And this says, and the child grew and became strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom and in the grace of God was upon him. And so that ends Luke's account of the very early years of Jesus. And so what I'm bringing out here is that we have this story Uh, He's born in Bethlehem, clearly. They stay in Bethlehem, and then it does say specifically that they took him to Jerusalem for the Passover, or excuse me, the Passover, for the the baby dedication. And this is important because it helps us kind of figure out when the Magi came, and and you'll see why in a second. So we have here that, let's go back to Matthew chapter 2, it says, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child when Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him.
1: I knew where you were going with Luke 2, so I, I kind of figured that out. I was like, okay, I, and I read verse 39 kind of before you read verse 39 and was just like, wait, it says they went to Nazareth, and you're saying it's 41 days, but there's a gap in Matthew, right? We, you can see it because he's given his name, and then it just says after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It doesn't give us anything else other than that it was during King Herod and that Magi came. Yeah, right. And so— This is one of the difficulties lots of people have with the Bible, is that it's a historical document, it's a holy document, and sometimes the holy and the historical don't always work together all that well. In this case, we have one author, Luke, the scientific author, the historical author, saying... After they did all the rights of the law, they went home to Nazareth. We also know that at some point in the near future, they're going to Egypt too. And yep. so yep. the Magi come before they go to Egypt. Right. And my timelines are a little, I, what you said about the 41 days, I, totally valid. I don't remember what they are. I believe what you said.
0: It's in Exodus 13 and Leviticus 12. Okay, perfect. For the listeners, by the way. So you can it look it up.
1: But yep. <laughs> if it's 41 days, I mean, you're still talking about it. Now you're, you're traveling from Bethlehem to Galilee with a two-month-old, which I wonder if what we have here, too, is a jump in Luke as well. Yeah, I'm I'm just curious if this is a potential that there's a jump between verse 38 and verse 39. It wouldn't be the first time. We can look at jumps and timelines that happen between verses. We can talk about yes. Paul in Jerusalem in Acts, where he's goes to Jerusalem and says, Hey, I'm here and I'm great and I know what I'm doing. And the disciples all go, No, you're not, and no, you don't. And
0: mm-hmm. the 15 years happens in one verse. And well, I have one bigger than that. Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Well, sure, there's that too. <laughs> there's a big one in there. Anyway, we'll talk about that on another podcast.
1: <laughs> so we know that we have kind of some information about that because we kind of know Paul's lifetime and life timeline and things like that, and there's some references to age. So I'm just curious if there is that jump in Luke where we're we're taking that that leap that may not be obvious, but if you look at it, you could make that interpretation. And I'm not saying we have to. I'm saying... Is there that interpretation, or could that interpretation be valid?
0: well that's I'm gonna leave that up to the listener I, again, this a huge part of this podcast is I want people to get into their Bibles and I want them to study it out themselves and and do the research and dive into this stuff you know so so I'm not going to try to give any any pat answers here in respect to thirty eight thirty nine it says so when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord. To me, that speaks to that's a connector word a little bit. It's Like so, when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, implying that it happened kind of right after that. But I will leave that to the listener. Those are good points, though. That's that's good stuff. Okay, so let's talk about this, Eric. Verse eleven of of Matthew chapter tw- uh, two. So sorry if I'm jumping around too much. Sorry about that. There's a lot to to piece here. I really want you to, you know, wh- whoever's listening, I really want you to be. Uh, to track with me, but also just to be encouraged by, by how awesome this story is um, when you dig into it. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother and they fell down and worshiped him. That word in the Greek young child is pa- uh, paid on, excuse me, paid on. That is a word that in, uh, actually I can look it up here, but that word, it means a young child. It does not, it's not the word used for a, a infant, an infant or a baby It's, it's right. used for a young child. And scholars agree that it's, it's for a child who's about, about two years old. And actually this word shows up in verse eight as well, where it says Herod's talking to the Magi and he says, he sends them, he sends them to Bethlehem and says, go and search carefully for the young child. Why? Verse seven, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men or the Magi, he determined from them exactly what time the star appeared. So we have Herod interrogating the the Magi when they show up in Jerusalem to find out exactly what time the star appeared. Remember, we talked about how that conjunction happened back when the Magi were looking at the, looking at the signs in the sky. Right. So, they, they said, hey, we've seen his star rise in the east. Where's the, where's the king? And Herod's like, well, I'm going to interrogate you. When did this star appear? What's going on with the star? Tell me more about the star and the timing of the star. And therefore, in the next verse, he uses this word paedon, young child, roughly two years old. And then if you want a really explicit version of it, go back to, skip forward to uh, verse 16, where it says, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, because they had left a different direction, they didn't want to go back to, to Herod, like, like he asked. They, they said, no, forget this, because we heard from an angel. And so they did something different. They, it says, when, when Herod saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry, And he sent forth and he put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according, here, right right here, this is where it is, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Mm -hmm. So somehow he he did the math and apparently the math was that, assuming that Herod can do math, (laughs) assuming that. um, It was Herod's magi that did the
1: math for him. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, so so he's probably good. <laughs> he's probably okay. To me, the, the word paedon being used and the fact that Herod, you know, does this two-year-old and under according to the time he determined from the wise men, that speaks to me now. Eric, I know that there's other ideas out there, and I'm going to be respectful of that. But for me, what I'm, what I'm putting together is I'm, I'm seeing here the word paedon is important being used, and we're, we're seeing a timeline of them being in Bethlehem, and then they're from Nazareth, they go back to Nazareth. I believe. And, and I believe that's where the, that's where the Magi gifts occur. Do you have anything to, to add to that?
1: No, I, I just go back to the other timeline is that they make it back to Nazareth before the escape to Egypt, but it's, it's a little longer than that. that that's my only, my only conjecture is that it, it, it isn't two months in Bethlehem. It's longer, it's closer to a year. And Herod goes after the babies in Bethlehem, sorry, children in Bethlehem. Yeah. And they escape to Egypt. Like it's kind of those two things seem to happen at the same time. And the Magi are already gone. So timelines here can be so very, very confusing and very difficult to collate because of different focuses by different authors. And we, sure. have, we have four Gospels, and you think, well, we have four original sources. How do we not know the timeline? It's because only two of them wrote about it. Matthew yeah. wrote about it and Luke yeah. wrote about it. Mark skips it almost completely, and John oh, starts, oh, no, he does. John starts in Genesis. You yeah. know, and, and, and I mean, John goes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Yeah, he was right. with I God understand. in the beginning. And yeah. that's the Word in that case is Jesus. And,
0: yeah.
1: you know, that's John 1, 1 and 2. And that's all John really says about it until we get to Jesus being thirty years old and he meets John the Baptist.
0: Yep. Well, Mark is even shorter than that. Yeah. Mark's yeah. intro is just fire hose. Wham. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> here's John the Baptist and here's Jesus. Like, whoa, what happened? Yeah, exactly. Where'd he come from? Doesn't matter. It's Mark. <laughs> yeah. Just just get right
1: into it, Mark. And of course. Yeah. I
0: think I think I don't want to I don't want the listeners to get bogged down with any of this and think that I, mean, I agree that people say that the Bible's difficult and all this, but here's the, here's how I look at it, Eric. I really believe and there's there's scriptures in Proverbs that talk about this, but I believe that God has hidden things in the scriptures, not from us, but for us to find. And so to me, it's, it's like a beautiful discovery of an adventure to me to research this stuff out and to spend time in the word and to have like these renewed sense of, of discovery and passion for the word. It's like, if it was all spelled out in black and white, ABC, this is just what happened. Take it. I don't know. Like it would be different, wouldn't it? I mean, We all would wish things would be simpler, I guess. But I don't know. I just, I don't know why God did it the way he did it. But to me, that's the way I look at it. Like if I see an apparent contradiction, I know that there's revelation there. Like I know there's something there because God has done something in a way that seems confusing to the natural mind. But there's always a a beautiful truth behind it that somehow brings it all together. And so that's what I'm enjoying doing is just kind of going after that discovery. So, yeah, but I will say this. In addition to the scriptural account, I've done some research. There's a guy named Epiphanius um, of Salamis, and I, um, I, have his, I have his reference here. But he does actually uh, explicitly state in his, he's an early church father, and, he's, and he writes a lot of stuff. What's important about what I'm calling out in, in this particular writing of his called the Panarion of, Epi, of Epiphanius is that he does actually speak about the Magi coming roughly two years two years after Jesus was born. Mm-hmm. So there is some extra, extra biblical uh, early church history evidence and also tradition that supports the two-year thing. So I just wanted to mention that. Again, leave it to the reader. Okay, so we also wanted to talk about how many magi. Again, I want to... I guess the reason I'm bringing all this up is because something about early art history, Eric, and you probably know more about this than I do, but from, from what I understand, early art history, they would... Uh, some of these Italian artists would, for the viewing experience, instead of making separate paintings or maybe even doing it in a chronological order, like maybe our brains would like to see, oftentimes it's my understanding that they would jam certain things together into one picture. Sure. And so, the chronology wasn't very clear. This is an Italian kind of mindset here with art, trying to communicate Eastern thought, right? So, think about that. So, what would happen actually is we do have evidence of some of these early pictures of Jesus's birth with the angels, with Mary and Joseph, with the baby, with the shepherds, and with the wise men, right. all in one picture. Yep. And a primary reason that it was painted that way was because that was actually the, the move of the day. That's how they did it. They would just jam all these things together chronologically, whether they made sense or not. Uh, primarily for the, for the viewer, so that the viewer could have the full experience. right. Of experiencing, you know, the, the, whole, the whole thing. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because we've, that right there, that tradition has carried over, I believe, into today. Like just, again, that video I was watching, it just kind of jams everything in there. And, you know, these greeting cards, it jams everything in there. I'm presenting a different story here from, from what I believe the scripture shows us. It wasn't necessarily the way that, that we've all, that I grew up, you know, hearing. Right. You know, and there's actually more to the story. So, so how many magi, all right? We all think... I did a play <laughs> as a kid yeah. where I played...
1: Was I Gaspar or Melkyar? It was a Jungle oh, Jam you even know play the names that we did Very live. Good. And I, I was okay. one of the three wise men. And we had nice. a song that we sang and I got to say, you know, it was, one of them was, I'm Gaspar, I'm B- Melkyar, and the other one, then our okay. third one went, I'm Binky because it was oh, funny, because <laughs> it was really funny. Because Balthazar is harder to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Balthazar is hard to say. That's what we all grew up with. There were three. There's three. Gaspar, yep. Melchior, oh, sure. and Balthazar. Of course, uh, Balthazar. We three kings. I think my nativity scene only has two. I think there's been a shift, or at least I feel that there's been a shift in church culture over the last 25 to 30 years to focus a little bit more on how accurate some of those things are. You know, mm-hmm. having a pastor go to Israel and who's gone to Israel a lot in his lifetime and record a series and actually try to explain yeah. some of yeah. these confusions that surround yeah. Jesus' birth yeah, is a very interesting way of doing it. And some of it is... Computers have helped us. We're able to model Mm -hmm. things like stars a whole lot easier than we were 50 years ago, 100 (laughs) years ago, 200 years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, sure, Isaac Newton discovered, well, Isaac Newton proved gravity, but that doesn't mean we had any way of actually doing anything other than drop an apple and prove gravity. But now we can mathematically do it. We can scientifically do it. We have all kinds of. Things Large Hadron Collider can do it. We can backdate stars because we understand, you know, everything from orbital mechanics to quantum theory. And all of those things have helped us. And that also helps us interpret the Bible a little bit differently than maybe a tradition would have us interpret it. And that also leads to skepticism, right? We also have the— Of course. Yep. The, I won't say the problem. We also have skepticism— becoming a little bit more rampant because there's people who don't believe what they read. at Some, some of them don't believe it mm-hmm. at face value. And there is an element, let's yeah. be honest here, that faith has to be involved. There, there comes a point where you have to say, mm-hmm. okay, I just have to believe it. And, and this is mm-hmm. true of science as well, because yeah, if you ask yeah. a scientist who believes in the Big Bang theory that that was the, it happened at random, you go, okay, right. go to the Big Bang. Let's go back to that. The question is, what happened before that? Right. And invariably, they, there's no answer to that. So at some point, they have to go, yeah. oh, we don't know. And I'm like, okay, and how is this different from believing what the Bible says then?
0: And I think to, to kind of even go further than that, I think what's happening prophetically as a world, as the globe, as we're progressing through time is because we're coming to these this crazy era of information and skepticism and knowledge. And like we're talking about, you know, Noah's Ark, we haven't even talked about Noah's Ark oh, and how yeah. the discovery of Noah's Ark and there's so much evidence behind Noah's Ark in Turkey and the mountains of Ararat, not Mount Ararat, you know, all this cool stuff with Noah's Ark. Stuff like this where we're where we're seeing these things happen and, and like you're saying, you know, I'm encouraged by these stories, but then the skeptics rise up, you know. Prophetically, though, what I think we're leading towards is the space where, and again, we're we're, we're slightly going off track, but this this is good. This is good stuff. It really is leading up to Christ's return, right? And I don't mean that in a cliche way. I mean, literally, people are getting to the point where, and I see this on the college campus all the time, like people are so hungry for the truth. They're not just going to believe something at face value, but they're going to believe something that has meat to it, meat and potatoes to it. People have been sold evolution for so long, even these atheist kids are like, they're ready to believe something with meat and potatoes behind it. And they understand that this whole idea of evolution and all this, it doesn't hold as much water, you know, as, as other people think they do. And so, so they don't know what, what the truth is, but they're looking for it. And I really think it's the reality of Christ in the believers doing what we've been called to do and actually walking in the supernatural and seeing God do the stuff that he said he would do, you know, as he is doing it on, in the world today, which is happening all over the place. I think it's it's really reeling in people for this great end times harvest and just the return of Christ and just you know as the world gets crazier and darker man the light shines brighter you know there's there's scripture on this so I'm I'm encouraged by it so so we we touched on on a lot right there but I really do think that that's what's happening I think a lot of this is coming to a very powerful prophetic implications of where we're headed so so how many magi? <laughs> oh, that's where we <laughs> that was were. right. How? a good tangent, right.
1: how da- I'm sorry. <laughs> how many magi? More than three. That, that's my answer.
0: So the Bible doesn't say how many there were. The Bible doesn't say there was three, but the Bible also doesn't say there was a hundred. But let's go back to maybe the reason why people think it's three, All right. So there's a couple reasons. You mentioned one, Eric, where we have these three names. We have, there is, you know, tradition, uh, early traditions that are interesting, that give their three names, you know, Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. But if you study them out, again, these are traditions and they're, they're interesting, but they're, they're actually impossible to verify. We just, we just don't have, have the ability to verify them. But we also have other traditions, right, with just as equal weight, uh, assuming that up to, you know, maybe 12 Magi were there. Now, there's also three gifts that mentioned in the Bible, and we're going to get into why those three gifts are mentioned, I believe. Um, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So maybe there's, you know, three gifts, three Magi. It makes sense, yep. right? You kind of... I think if that's where that other. comes from. But yeah, I think so too. Um, also, maybe the painters, right? Maybe the painters put three because we have the three gifts mentioned. Yep. So it makes sense to do three, right? Now, and again, they only had a limited amount of canvas, right? Right. <laughs> but let's go back to, I want to go back to historical records and what these magi were. We talked a little bit about it earlier about how, you know, they were, they were very, very wealthy. They were high echelon politicians, essentially king makers, right? And all these types of things. Now think about this, just think about the logistics of this type of person, you know, traveling that far. Would you expect, for instance, the president of a country, especially the president of of the United States, taking a long journey like that alone? Or do you think that he would have an entourage or at least some bodyguards, right? Yeah. That's our culture now. Back then it was even more ornate. It was even more, you know, extravagant with with these orientals and so no matter how many imagi there were, it's extremely likely, in fact, it is recorded that they traveled in large groups, right? It wasn't just three camels and three dudes. It was at least bodyguards. It was at least an entourage of servants. And in some cases, they even had their own armies that would go with Mm -hmm. them because these were people of such wealth, of such power. This was just a natural thing to do. So I wanted to bring that out. It's interesting because the early church fathers talk about this. And especially since we talked about how long of a journey this would be, it's extremely unlikely that you're going to have just maybe one Magi or, two, or three Magi just kind of going on their own. But how many, we don't, we don't actually know. It's speculation. Again, we have, we have three. We also have some, some traditions that stayed up to 12, maybe even more. So again, up to the listener. And there could be <laughs> study
1: 12 Magi, but there could be a hundred support people.
0: Exactly. Or yeah, some, some sources say a thousand for the 12. If there's 12 magi, some sources said that there'd be over a thousand wow, supporting personnel. That's a lot. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine that thing coming into Jerusalem? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That would, that would not go unnoticed. Right. Right. Exactly. And Herod was troubled, right?
1: No matter which town you believe it is in, whether you believe right. it's in Bethlehem or you believe it's in Nazareth, we're not talking about a major <laughs> town here. We're talking about... Right. Uh, we're talking about Amboy, Washington. If if you know where Amboy
0: <laughs> is. <laughs> we're Oh man, that's a blast from the past for me. Yeah, I know Amboy. We're
1: talking about I I'm I'm trying to think Woodland, Washington. Like that's right along Interstate 5. Like we're we're not talking about smaller than Portland. Yeah. We're not talking about you know, Sacramento or San Francisco right. or Los Angeles or Seattle. We're talking about small-town America, small-town small Canada. Country. my head in Canada, I went, oh, it's Stettler, Alberta, that's where this is. It's, it's uh, this little <laughs> tiny town. <laughs> the population of this place was a few families. Like, Bethlehem Personally, was a little bit yeah. bigger, but, I mean, we're still talking about maybe 500 people? Maybe. Nazareth, Galilee, Naz- well, was even smaller. I mean, we're talking 10, 10 families.
0: And Nazareth was a workers' village, actually, for, for the city of Sepphoris, which, was, which right. was nearby. So I don't have the number. I bet I could look it up. I don't remember the numbers. It was very um, transient city. You're
1: right. There, there wasn't a lot of people that actually yeah. lived. Like there, there were a lot of workers that came there, but there was more people that – there wasn't a lot that actually lived there. They just supported no, a lot they, of people.
0: Yeah, they lived there because they were working on the city. They, it was not a destination. Yeah. It was not a... It wasn't... A, let's just put... Let's just say that Nazareth was not a place that you'd want to retire. No. <laughs> this was a big deal, right? It, again, it was likely more than three. If you look at the historical records of, of the Magi and like... And we're going to get into this in just a moment. We do have records that talk about what they would do when a new king was born. And they would go and visit the new king and they would bring gifts, which is the subject that we're about to tackle here. And oftentimes they would travel in groups. Okay, now what kind of gifts did they bring? Oh my goodness. This is going to be a treat. So again, I want you to notice, let's go back to the Bible, Matthew chapter two and verse 11. It says, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child Paedon with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. They fell down and worshiped him. That is very important that they that it says that. These guys, you know, however many they were, they knew that this was the savior of the world and they worshiped him. They knew this was the king of all kings. Think about it. They had physically seen in the heavens, the creator of the universe, the, the stars themselves had announced the birth of a king. How many kings can you say, <laughs> you know, have been anna- announced, announced by the stars? You know, these, these magi had, had been invited to, to the birth of many kings before, usually by messenger, right? But none of them by the stars. So we can look at, again, we don't know all the details of what they gave to Jesus besides the gold frankincense and myrrh, but we do have records. We can look and we're going to talk about it. What would they do to a regular king, right? What kind of gifts would they bring to a regular, even a low level king? And I think it's going to surprise you, but I want you to notice that they fell down and worshiped him. They knew who this king was. God had announced the birth of his son in the stars. Amazing. Amazing. So, they opened their treasures and they presented their gifts. If you go into the Greek, this word opened their treasures and presented their gifts, opened, actually indicative of a grand opening. It doesn't carry this idea of just kind of popping open a couple little boxes, you know? Like, here's your gold, here's your frankincense. No, it was like a grandiose presentation, really, of gifts. So, that tells us, that gives us a little bit of insight. Presented, interestingly enough, and when I was digging into this word, if you dive into this word in the Greek, presented, carries this idea of carrying a physical weight, carrying a burden to bring to someone. Isn't that interesting? Whatever they carried with them, they presented gifts, you know, has this idea of carrying something heavy, like unloading something mm-hmm. to give as a gift. So it's like if I brought you, Eric, something heavy, I would have to like carry you know, I would have to unload it to give it to right. you. So that's actually kind of the word picture here. So that's interesting, right? A little bit more than a little little jewelry box or something. And then treasures, again, this is plural. And interestingly enough, that word in the Greek carries this idea of storehouses or of treasures or cargo that are filled to the brim. Whoa, hello. Check this out. So, Again, historical records, and I'm pulling this from, again, the Rick Renner book here, and I'm going to mention another source here in a moment, but there's a source here called uh, Jesus and Wealth, an Examination of the Gifts of the Magi in Matthew 2, and I encourage you to read it. But for a normal king, Magi would bring, listen to this, vases, urns, plates, carpets, clothing, all kinds of items fashioned from gold, silver, and other, quote, rare and expensive materials from this part of the world, the Eastern riches, they would bring whatever these Eastern riches were, you know, spices, ornate, grandiose gifts. Uh, This was near the Silk Route Mm -hmm. where exotic materials were transported, right, between India and China and the like, in the Middle East areas. This was kind of their game. Check this out. Examples of diplomatic gifts given to newborn kings. This is from Murray R. Adamthwaite from that book I just mentioned, Jesus and Wealth, An Examination of the Gifts. So he says that, Diplomatic gifts given by the Magi to newborn kings were gold, silver, ebony, ivory, lapis lazuli, which is a pretty blue stone, garments spun with golden threads, exotic perfumes, aromatic resins from rare trees and plants. In addition to all that, here we have another list beds carved from ebony and covered in gold, chairs overlaid with gold, footstools overlaid with gold, jewelry, knives, goblets, boats. Boats. Chariots made out of gold. Listen to this. One of the items that they would bring could be as many as a thousand jars of sweet oils. And that's just like one, I don't know. I'd like to be the group of people carrying the, the oils. Like you're the oil guy or something yeah. on this journey, you know? A thousand jars of oil. Fabulously woven cloth and garments made of the finest materials. All right. These are historical, well-documented, researched gifts that these magi would bring to normal quote normal kings. I think it's safe to say that Jesus would have at least received something similar to this if not greater, which blows my mind by the way. Like my my nativity set doesn't have enough room for that kind of Definitely stuff. Definitely not. <laughs> so I just think this is amazing, but they were fully convinced, right? They had seen the signs in the heavens. They were fully convinced that this was the king of the world, the savior of the world had just been born. And so I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if they had carried this much stuff or more, you know, not just three little boxes, but, but a lot, a lot of stuff. So yeah, let's talk about gold, frankincense and myrrh. There, there's symbolism, right? Absolutely. Like, what do you think, Eric?
1: First of all, I have a question for you about frankincense. Have you ever smelled it or felt it?
0: I have actually, I, 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 I've, I've smelled it. I don't know if I've felt it. Uh, no, I, that's a good question. Have you, you have, I, I, I can't remember if I, I have the oil. Okay.
1: There's plenty of, like, resin gums that have it in it that I've tried. Okay. So that's an interesting thing, by the way. That can get really, really strong and really, really powerful, even just a little bit of the resin mixed in with, like, regular gum. But that would have been something they would have done, too, because it is a resin. It is a tree resin. It is safe to consume. So they would have done things like that. But, yeah, the symbolism here is just it's – I think it might be why it's included, right? The three things are included because they give credence to who Jesus was. He was a king. Exactly. He's the Messiah. And he's the head priest.
0: He's the chief priest. So
1: each one of these gifts does that. Each one of these gifts kind of says, here's your your thing. And when you're talking about Matthew talking about this, he's going to point out to a Jewish audience these three things. He is your king, he is your priest and he is your Messiah.
0: That's it. Gold, that's the obvious one, right? That's the gift of the king, right? That makes sense. So Jesus is our king. He's the king of of, of my life, right? You know, I've, I've accepted him as, as Lord and Savior, and Eric, I know you have as well, and many of our listeners have. And so he's the king of my life, but he's also the king, ultimately, like, when this world is over, right. you know, when things wrap up and when he comes back, he's going to be the king of everything. Like, people are going to know he's the king. I mean, he's, he's the king of my life right now. He might not be the king of yours you know, over here, but he's going to be the king. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And so he is the ultimate king. And so again, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Matthew brings this out to his Jewish audience to say, and to us, of course, to say, hey, this is your king. He's getting a gift of gold because this is a king. So, and again, I think this is the point here. There was all these gifts, these physical, practical gifts that came into play here, probably. I I believe it's very strong evidence that that he did get a ton of gifts. But why did Matthew just mention these three? Well, king, number one, Jesus is the king. Number two, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense, right? You just talked about that. It's super rare and exotic, uh, uh, you know, to the Jewish people. One source says that it's even more expensive possibly than gold. Interesting. I would believe that. So it's resin like you mentioned, resin from eastern trees. Now listen to this, what's the point of this? In the Bible, frankincense was used in the temple for worship to God. So the Jewish mindset would have said, "Frankincense, why are you giving frankincense? That's an interesting gift, right? Like that's that's not something that it was in the list that we read earlier, right? That wasn't a normal gift." Why? Well, it was used in temple worship and the priests were the ones. So you mentioned earlier priests, that's the whole point. It was used in the temple for worship. The priests would minister to the Lord with frankincense. And so this speaks to Jesus as our high priest. And um, the book of Hebrews talks about that quite a bit, how he's the one in the old Testament, the priest was the one that you had to go to, to talk to God, or he's the one you went to, to, to get your sins forgiven. Right? Right. Well, Now that Jesus has come, and again, this is the whole point of Christmas, is Jesus has come as the Savior of the world and as our high priest. He is the mediator between God and man. You don't have to go to a physical priest anymore once a year, get your sins forgiven like they did in the old days, and have a lamb get slaughtered anymore. The lamb has been slaughtered. You know, Jesus is the lamb of God. right? And the king and the priest, I mean, this is crazy, but he's the one who took our sins, and because of what he did, we can have a relationship with God, direct relationship with God, but it only comes through Jesus, our high priest, frankincense. And finally, we have myrrh. This is more tree resin, but this time it was like a perfume. I've smelled frankincense before. I don't know if I felt it, but, uh, but myrrh, a very, very, very strong perfume. And Eric, this one was used, I'm sure you're aware of this, in embalming. They would embalm bodies with myrrh. Mm-hmm and it would help, you know, with, the, with that whole process. And so, and in fact, they did, they did use myrrh, you know, over Jesus' body when they, when they wrapped him up. But what does this speak to? This is prophetically speaking to Jesus' death. So, at his birth, we have indication of the fact that he's going to die for us. Mm-hmm. He's our king, he's our priest, and he's going to die for us. So, the whole message of the gospel of Jesus was actually spelled out in these three simple gifts. And that's why I believe Matthew spelled it out. Isn't that awesome?
1: Yeah, I've heard the phrase, it's in a song and I forget which song. It's probably in an old hymn. It's probably been monetized, but the line is king born to die. Mm -hmm. You know, you read that in fantasy stories and and all kinds of things. They all get it from the same source. It all comes Mm -hmm. from the Bible. It all comes from the ultimate king whose purpose in life was to come to the earth, live a perfect life, and die. And you don't get to Easter without Christmas. But no. without Easter, Christmas doesn't matter. And that's, that's, that's critical. Good. We celebrate Christmas. Christmas is the big holiday. Most of the Christian world mm-hmm. celebrates Christmas in some way or another, whether they celebrate it on December 25th or January 7th, that's a whole different topic. You're dealing with Western versus Mm -hmm. Eastern Orthodox traditions. But everyone in the Christian world celebrates Christmas. Everyone in the Christian world also celebrates Easter, but you don't go around giving gifts under a tree at Mm -hmm. Easter. And that is when we should do it. We don't Mm -hmm. because of tradition and a bunch of other things but you don't yep. have... Easter is by far the more important holiday by mm-hmm. leaps and bounds because Christmas doesn't matter without Easter.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing about a lot of these other religions is they'll, they'll accept, you know, that Jesus lived, right? As a historical figure. Oh, so Christmas is no big deal to them, right? But Easter, right? That's the difference, you know? Christianity is the only... I mean, I hesitate to call it a religion. I know people call it a religion, but you know, religion, in my opinion, is when when a person works their way up to God, right? You right. do all the religious stuff, you know. Christianity, if you if you even call it a religion, it's where God came down to earth. Yes, that's the only one, right? This is the only system. It's just so interesting to me. And again, my life has been changed by the Lord. Your life, Eric, has been changed by the Lord. I know you. You know those of you who are listening. I guarantee you, most of you, you know, your lives have been changed by God. And as a reality, right? It's not just a religious fantasy. It's a reality. And so the reality that Christ came to Earth, we celebrated on Christmas. The whole point was this gift, the myrrh, the dying, and and not just the dying, but what? Eric Easter, the rising again sure. of Christ. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Because if he just died, that would have been game over, right? Uh, You know, no big, no, uh, everybody, a lot of people have done that, right? A lot of people have have been born and died, but he came in the And Oh, I just, I wish we could talk about, maybe we'll talk about this for our Easter episode. There's so much we could talk about with just the blood of Jesus and what it, what the blood of Jesus really means and how incredibly awesome it is. And like the whole plan of salvation and physically how it works and why somebody had to die to do it. So I just, I just think it's awesome how God did it. And looking back, it's like, whoa, that, that was cool. (laughs) <laughs> it worked really well. So, so how cool is that though? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh prophetically speaks of the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus again to the audience, uh, to the Jewish audience, and also to us. Now, I want to talk just for a moment here. Um, what was the point of all that wealth then? Right. We we talked about the three gifts and the the prophetic symbol uh, symbolism. But what about all this other crazy wealth? The carpets, the, the boats. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> what are they doing with a boat out there? Yeah, a boat but, in Bethlehem. You know I mean? like... that's,
1: that's not going to do anything for you <laughs>
0: at all. So, so they have all this gold furniture, right? Okay, interesting. Well, what happens next? So we have here in Matthew chapter two, again, I'm going to go back to, to verse 11 and I'm going to read a few verses here. It says, and when they, this is the Magi, had come into the house and they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Ooh, that's just, I'll never read that the same way again, you know? Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they, the Magi, departed for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And they were there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. And that's awesome. Notice that Joseph obeyed God immediately. I think that's something that you'll notice as you're reading through the, past, through this, the Christmas story in Matthew and also in Luke. Joseph obeys immediately. I mean, he, he had a dream or he had an angel show up, and it says that very night. I mean, he got after it. He didn't wait around. Yeah. And again, we could go an entire episode on like why Joseph and why Mary, like why God chose Joseph, why God chose Mary. And I believe that that's one reason why God chose Joseph. I don't think it was random. I don't think God just rolls the dice with the birth of his son, you know, and any of this, I, I believe there's a pattern and there's a reason why God chose Joseph. And I, and I, this is one thing I wanna encourage you with is that when you hear from God, just be obedient and do it quickly. That is so important to cultivate this concept. Like here's an example um, from my own life. And this is this is a small example and you might you might think it's funny, but it's real. So oftentimes in the morning when I get up, I, I have my goal to wake up really early, right? And I like to wake up really early. But there are some days when I'm just tired and I don't I don't want to do it, right? And Eric and I we were just talking a moment ago about <laughs> during a, during a quick break we were talking about how I would I would rather go to bed very very early so I can get up early. And Eric, you're you're a little different. You'd like just, to just stay a up bit. late. yeah.
1: I'd rather I'd rather <laughs> I think see, between the two of you, us. You like seeing single digits when you go to bed at, when it's it's PM. I like seeing single digits when I go to bed and it's AM. <laughs>
0: and i like seeing single digits when i wake up and and you not so not so so much (laughs) no not at all unless it's afternoon and so but anyway one of these one of these things is i've learned to cultivate this thing where when i wake up in the morning and and i'm like i want to go back to bed but once and i I do okay don't get me wrong right i'm not I don't have a halo or anything like I go back to bed but there are times when I do hear the voice of the Holy Spirit encouraging me to wake up early with him and spend time with him now I'll, I'll be totally honest I don't always I don't always obey that voice all right I don't always do it but when I do when I do when I'm quick to obey him 10 out of 10 times when I'm quick to obey him and get up and spend that time with him I I have revelation from the Lord I hear his voice I have a question that I've been pondering or thinking for a while, or, you know, a scripture that I'm kind of stuck on or just something in life where I'm, I'm struggling with, and I need, I need his guidance on it. That's the morning I get it. And so I just want to encourage you with that, just that, and that's, again, that's a small example. I mean, there's, there's big examples of obeying God, you know, kind of moving or doing something big, but, but I want to encourage you that if you can't obey him in little things, you're going to have a really hard time obeying him in the big things. And I guarantee you, you're not going to obey him in the big things if you can't obey him in the small thing. So that's just a total side, side tangent. So um, anyways, Eric and I, we're going to get back to this now, but, but, uh, but Joseph obeyed immediately, right? That's, that's just a side thing I wanted to bring out. Okay. So what I wanted you to notice is that they went out to Egypt and Joseph wasn't working out in Egypt. They, they had to move suddenly. And again, at night, immediately they, they, they had to move and without going into all the details, this was going to be a very expensive trip. All right. How many of you know that traveling is expensive in today's world. Well, it was expensive back then too. Ooh, me, me. <laughs> yeah, Eric, you do a lot of traveling these days. Yeah, I've been driving a lot. It's so expensive. <laughs> How many of you would like to travel with a two-year-old, you know, or a very young child? I mean, my goodness, that's going to be expensive and, and crazy already. But you got to realize in Egypt, Joseph wasn't working. I mean, he didn't have his business over there. He didn't have everything Have everything all set up. They, they had to literally pack up and go overnight. And so, a lot of these finances that the Magi gave to them financed their trip. And actually, uh, Renner in his in his book goes into the research of how much it actually cost them to travel and where they went and how long they were gone. And it was absolutely ridiculous how long they were gone and how, how much they had to travel and move and do things and what, what these early, um, you know, early records and early traditions say about where they went in Egypt. So I just think it's awesome that God supplied Mary and Joseph with the provision that they needed. I mean, right when they needed it, the same night he told them to leave, you know, that very same day that the, the Magi had come and given them their, their treasures, but God provided for them. I mean, how cool is that? They, they had this ridiculous amount of wealth, but they needed it and it financed their whole thing. And, and again, it was all fulfilling prophecy, you know, out of Egypt, I've called my son. And so I just wanna encourage you that when you do step out in obedience to God, he is faithful to provide everything you need. You know you don't have to ever if you ever come up against a situation where you're like okay i've heard god's voice like i know what i should do but and you begin to list all the stuff well man i'm here to tell you if you've if you've heard god's voice that's all you need just go for it you know be wise and count the costs and all that kind of stuff but if you've heard from the lord um, he will be faithful and he will provide i just want to encourage you with that yeah that's great We've had a lot of fun. This has been awesome, Eric. I, I really enjoyed talking about this with you and, and, and for you listeners. I hope you learned something brand new, especially about the Magi and, and the Star of Bethlehem. I'm, I'm sure there was something brand new, but but I really hope, and I, it's my prayer and it's our prayer at Unstoppable, that that you're encouraged from the Word of God and that the Christmas story has become, at some level, more real to you and and just the person of Jesus and and how awesome the Word of God is. Hopefully, this has just been encouraging to you in this Christmas season. So. I do wanna say Merry Christmas from from all of us at Unstoppable and and from Kynos Global. And and just a reminder, you know, thank you so much for your partnership and for for your prayers. And if you wanna get in uh, any of the giving, the giving that we have right now for Pastor Peter in Kenya and from the Mission Projects, uh, please check us out at kynosglobal.org. And and we just appreciate it. And this has just been great. Eric, do you have anything to add?
1: I just wanna wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and we look forward to continuing season four in the new year.
0: So once again, we thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Podcast. If you want to know more, including previous
1: episodes, blogs, and free downloadable content, visit us at unstoppablepodcast.org. You can also find out what Kynos Global is doing in Kenya at Kinosglobal.org. You can get involved there as well by checking out our open volunteer positions and supporting us financially. Please like and subscribe on YouTube to the Unstoppable podcast as well as your favorite podcasting app so that more people will hear this teaching.
0: Finally, all of us at Unstoppable pray that today's episode has encouraged, equipped, and really empowered you with meaningful insight from the Word of God to receive His promises and to live a life without limits.